football fans or good afternoon or good evening whenever you're listening to this or even good night uh it's a brand new week it's the first monday that we're facing into without donald trump being the leader of the free world and i'm just recording this directly after uh the weekend roundup of football fixtures welcome to feckin football the podcast about feckin football and i am your host to me that's my surname. I'll never reveal my first name on this podcast, although lots of the listeners out there already know my first name. And I'd ask you just not to disclose my first name because I don't want certain people to find me or something like that. I'm just kind of over-exaggerating that for comic effect. So, week two of the podcast. How did I get on on week one? Uh, well, I marketed this podcast uh, desperately. Direct marketing, an old classic from the 1980s book of marketing. Direct marketing via WhatsApp to lots of people who know me and some of them have listened to the first episode of Feckin' Football. Thank you very much for that. I hope you're still listening to episode two. Um, I hope you're well. I've started talking to you now for some reason, even though I don't know who you are. But that's kind of what people do on these solo podcasts. Uh, They just say whatever comes into their head. Some of it sounds good. Some of it sounds like absolute claptrap. But that's the nature of a podcast. Um, Yeah, so episode two, I'm still kind of experimenting with this podcast to see what shape and forms it will take. So uh, what I enjoyed last week was making it a bit quirky, a bit weird, a bit off off, uh, something. Just another way of saying quirky or weird. Um, And just a space for me not to be too perfectionistic, just to say whatever I want. Um, But at the same time, I did enjoy uh, reviewing a match in depth and uh, focusing on other matches as well. Um, So I'm going to keep that format, I think, for this episode. So I'm going to start off uh, by reviewing the main match of the weekend. And you probably know what that match is. That is uh, Liverpool versus Manchester City. So I'm going to do a bit longer analysis of that match. And then I'm going to do a roundup of some other matches that interested me during the week. So strap right in or sit there and listen, I suppose. Don't strap yourself in unless you're driving. But open up your ears, open up your eyes, open up your minds and open up your hearts. Open up everything because it's coming now. The analysis that you've been waiting for uh, or, or not, probably not. Anyway. Take a quick break, gather my thoughts, and I'll come back with analysis of Liverpool versus Manchester City. Sorry, Manchester City versus Liverpool, because it was played at the Etihad Stadium, so Manchester City should be mentioned first. Bye-bye. See you in a minute. Liverpool versus Manchester City, marketed as El Clasico by Sky Sports. Um, and the commentary throughout the game was was saying how brilliant a game it was, how amazing it was at halftime. Um, but then things turned around, I suppose, in the second half and everybody had to admit that it, it had fizzled out. Uh, so the final score between Manchester City and Liverpool, 1-1. Uh, Salah uh, with the goal... Um, from the penalty spot for Liverpool to take the lead in the 12th minute um, and then Jesus 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 uh, equalising on 31 minutes um, so my thoughts on this game 
So if we start off with the formations, what, what was interesting from uh, Liverpool's uh, selection was that Diego uh, Jota uh, was selected, um, which meant uh, that Liverpool were playing a 4-2-4 formation. So four people up front, Jota, uh, Firmino, Salah and Mane up front uh, with the ball and then without the ball back to a 4-4-2. Um, and I suppose those tactics, if you're playing 4-2-4 pretty much with the ball, you're going to be playing direct. Um, so uh, that's quite unusual for Liverpool to play that way. They usually play with the three up front and, and three midfielders. So in a way, they changed their whole formation and style of playing to accommodate uh, Diego Jota, who was a great, a great start to his Liverpool career. But it's a lot of... Uh, it's a big... Um, sacrifice to make to accommodate him into the team another way to look at it is that maybe Klopp is a bit too loyal to uh, Firmino who has been off the boil uh, for from the second half of last season up until now really um, maybe he didn't want to drop him maybe the, the, the easier decision was to replace him with uh, Jota uh, rather than change your whole formation to the, so you could get all four of them in although he was probably thinking City press high so maybe a 4-2-4 more direct football would, would work uh, against um, against them Man City uh, soulless team I don't really talk too much about them uh, obviously Pep Guardiola is a great uh, manager they play lovely football uh, De Bruyne is a great player uh, but soulless club um, owned uh, by oil money in the Middle East um and I hate Manchester City, um, but I do admire some of their football. Uh, so their their formation in this match was was the norm, as you'd expect. Uh, Jesus, Gabriel Jesus up front. Um, so the match kicked off. Oh God, it's it's worth mentioning the um, well two things actually. Uh, Martin Tyler on Sky Sports News or Sky Sports always saying Manchester City versus Liverpool. And it's live. Um, I think that's getting a bit old now. You can't just say that after every match. I think the first time he said that, or the first 17 times he said that, maybe was more authentic. But now he's saying it after every match. And uh, you can't just feign that excitement uh, all the time. Even though, in fairness, this is a big match. But I just think it's it's overplayed. Um, and then what was the story with the big poppies uh, uh ceremony there Klopp and uh, Guardiola forced to bring out big pop poppies uh, now I, I I don't know too much about the politics or the history of that but I think the poppies um, and all that is there to celebrate the uh, English uh, war efforts since the beginning of time um, and of course England um, and the UK conquered loads of uh, countries and colonized lots of countries including Ireland um, so I think if I was there, I wouldn't be comfortable with all this big ceremony celebrating everything um, that they did uh, over centuries. Um, and I find it strange that a Spaniard and uh, a German are bringing out poppies, um, considering the um, the lives from well, Germany, certainly, and probably Spain, Spanish lives over the, over the world, because they probably fought with uh, rural Britannia uh, over the years um, so it's just strange that uh, that everyone has to observe this uh, 
propaganda of the poppy stuff. <laughs> so there you go, kind of extreme uh, politics there. Actually, a disclaimer, I don't know too much about it. Uh, that's my get out of jail card. I don't know what I'm talking about, uh, but that's what it just seems like to me. Anyway, so that so the match started off um, four up front, four two four for Liverpool. That was interesting at the start, and and they immediately got on the front foot against Manchester City. Um, very high energy. Uh, it looked like they might um, steamroll them. Blitzkrieg, uh, to, to use um, a, a reference from World War Two, the Salah penalty. Um, I just want to say about that. Uh, so Manny was fouled. That was grand. It was clear penalty. But I did enjoy the camera angle uh, for for Salah's penalty. The camera seemed to be some sort of drone almost. Um, it was behind uh, Salah, but it was up in the air a bit. And it seemed like the the goal was miles away. But it was just a really interesting angle that went right behind him. And you could the goal actually seemed really small. And I put myself in the perspective of Salah and I felt a bit nervous uh, watching it. But then he stu- st- stepped up or, yeah, he just went up and slotted in the corner with, with power uh, past uh, Ederson. So uh, very good uh, goal. Um, so Liverpool started quite well. They're playing quite direct. It was quite working for them. But I, I think when when teams are trying these uh, new formations, the they don't quite look as fluent as they normally do. And I think the other teams can can then adapt to the surprise attack to the blitzkrieg. Uh, we saw it with with Man United playing the diamond um, against Arsenal last week. You can adapt to that pretty quickly. And once you do. The team that sprung the new tactics aren't comfortable enough with it to make it uh, work often. Um, so Manchester City kind of weathered the storm, and then 31 minutes, as I said, uh, uh, um, a ball from the right hand side from Kyle Walker into Kevin De Bruyne, who dropped into the half space. <laughs> there's a there's a hipster word into the half space. Uh, he dropped into number sort of ten roll, uh, got the ball a uh, couple of meters outside the penalty box, turned really well, and played a very intelligent ball into Gabriel Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, I don't know what what's the correct uh, pronunciation of his name. Is it Jesus, Jesus, or Jesus? Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm gonna call him Gabriel, I think. Uh, so, uh, although there's other players called Gabriel, so no, I'll call him Jesus. So. Although, it <laughs> just feels wrong saying that name. Um, so Jesus got the ball from De Bruyne and uh, he turned on it very quickly. Uh, I think it was a miscontrol, uh, to be honest, uh, as my friend, the King of Ping, uh, Ross Ambra, uh, pointed out on Twitter, uh, there was no way that that was intentional. It wasn't a Dennis Bergkamp esque type thing where he fooled everyone with this magical amazing turn I think the ball just could have got stuck beneath his his ankle but in fairness to him he reacted to the ball being there really quickly he turned really quickly and he finished it well so at this stage the Sky Sports uh, commentators were like this is the best match ever this is amazing I've never seen anything like this this is a classical multiplied by Juventus versus AC Milan this is and the hyperbole is, uh, is amazing at times. It was an okay match. It was a good match. It was an interesting match, but it wasn't that good. Um, and then in 40 minutes, we had the handball versus Gomez in the Liverpool defence. Um, and then the whole debate, oh, that shouldn't be a penalty, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's such a disgrace. The game's gone and all that. And then uh, 
after all that, uh, De Bruyne misses the penalty. Um, I don't really want to get into the whole handball thing. Um, I think. I think there has to be an objective rule for handball. So, um, as it's been pointed out on different podcasts, like Second Captains, um, the, what the v, VAR uh, rules are trying to do is establish an objective criteria for awarding a handball. Um, so it's not this: is it intentional? Did he mean it? Did he have time to get it, his hand out of the way? It's no. If your if your hand was Actually, I don't don't know the actual rules to stand over the rest of my point. But I think the important thing is that it's consistency. So if it's consistency, if it's a consistently wrong rule, at least it's been applied to everybody fairly. So that's what you want. You want consistency in the rules. And then at the end of the season or whenever it's reviewed, then you can review the rule itself. What you want to avoid is subjectivity. So some referees deciding, oh, he didn't mean that. Uh, he no he no. There's no way that's a penalty. Like you don't want that that kind of human subjective uh, judgment. And people will say it's common sense, um, and that refs should should use their common sense. But that's not going to give you consistency. Uh, so it's a bit of a conundrum. Uh, if, if you want fairness, in my opinion, you need objectivity and consistency, um, and have that in the rule. And if the, and then if the rule is wrong, then change the rule. But have, always have it objective. Um, so that's my little uh, rant and pontification about handballs. Uh, ill-informed, probably, as well. Um, anyway, so uh, De Bruyne misses the penalty. 1-1 after about 40 minutes. Um, and then I went into to half time after uh, entertaining first half, uh, despite my, my criticisms of it. Um, and I'm just looking at my notes here. So, yeah, just... Uh, so we went into half time. Um, and we had Roy Keane again in the studio, this time with uh, Mika Richards. And uh, basically, uh, Roy Keane, uh, <laughs> I think somebody said, uh, how did Manny get that penalty against Man City? And then Roy Keane said something like, referring to Kyle Walker, he said, because he's playing against an idiot. <laughs> so Roy Keane uh, called Kyle Walker an idiot uh during the halftime, <laughs> which I'm sorry, it is funny, but it's, it's, uh, I don't know if it's objective or, or good analysis, but, uh, and I don't know if he should be going around insulting players. Um, I mean, I don't know how long that can be tolerated, uh, or like, what's the line? Like, can you just go around calling people names? Like, when does that, uh, cross the line into just meanness after a while that, that should be stopped and shouldn't be kind of just laughed away. Uh, I like Roy Keane. He's very charismatic, charismatic, greatest player Ireland ever had, probably. Um, I loved watching him play for Man United growing up, and uh, I love most of the things he says. I think he's very, very bright and articulate and passionate about the game. But I don't think anybody can condone calling people an idiot, <laughs> calling professionals who are doing their best an idiot. Although another part of me thinks it's uh, kind of funny. So anyway, that was half time. Roy Keane in there with a, uh, I noticed he had a, a black suit jacket on uh, and grey pants. I don't know why I've noted that, but I I have. Um, so we went on to the second half, and this is when the the El Clasico, the best match ever, actually revealed its true self. It wasn't that good a match, and the second half just fizzled out into a complete stinker of a match. It was quite boring. Um, but what was interesting is that Manchester City 
because they had structure and a better, more coherent uh, tactics for this match, uh, they copped on that you could pressurise Liverpool, who were trying this novel system. So what they started to do was to press more in the second half, to put more pressure on the Liverpool centre-halves, Matip and Gomez, who are pretty shit, let's be honest. Well, not shit, but... Like they're not, they're no Van Dykes. Um, so they, they started to press Liverpool higher up the pitch and Liverpool uh, started to concede possession and uh, Liverpool were also playing the ball direct um, with their 4-2-4. Um, and that led to Manchester City taking the upper hand in the game and making it more methodical and controlling the game. What happened midway through the second half, unfortunately for Liverpool, was the Alexander-Arnold injury. So that's two of their first choice uh, back four now injured, Arnold and Van Dijk. So we'll see what the injury for, for Alexander-Arnold is like. Um, but that is a, that would be a massive blow for Liverpool. When you think about it, the last two seasons, their back four have been present pretty much the whole time. Uh, I think Robertson has been injured for spells, but but uh, James Milner has been an able deputy. But I don't know if they have anyone else good at right back to to kind of slot in. Um, maybe it's Milner again, actually, over on that side. But but geez, it's, it's a big loss, uh, Van Dijk and Arnold. Um, so Manchester City, anyway, back to this match, finishing the stronger shape, structure, um, consistency in how they played. But really, the match uh, fizzled out and. You could tell the commentators, uh, Martin Tyler, Gary Neville, Jamie Carragher, like the, the lack of excitement in this match, like from about 10 minutes to go, it was just like, oh, right, uh, they found parody in the match and nothing else is going to happen. And let's let's face it, Manchester City is a soulless club and there's only so much excitement you can get from them. Uh, Liverpool have a great history. They're a really good club, uh, strong footballing territory i know manchester city are as well but they they had a smaller fan base and they didn't have half the history of of the big clubs uh like with, with history which i really value i really value the the kind of the mythology that that's built up around a club and when i see clubs like manchester city which don't have that um it uh turns me off shall we say um reminds me of the the comment rich richard richie sadlier made about psg he said PSG are just uh, an advertisement uh, for uh, I can't remember what it was. It was he was basically making the point that PSG was owned by the Middle East again, and were just an advertisement for um, the the companies represented by the owners. Um, and I disagree with that slightly because PSG are again steeped in the in history of winning European Cups and and being dominant team in France and it's just the Manchester City coming on the scene 10 years ago I know this is an old topic but fuck it I'm just gonna go on and I'll, I'll never forgive you Manchester City I'll never let you uh, get my full a- admiration uh, Kevin De Bruyne I wish he was playing for a different team um, and Pep Guardiola I wish he was at a different team as well because it would just be so much more interesting Manchester City they're just it, just sucks the soul right out of you. So, to conclude, Liverpool won, Manchester City won, or if you're putting the home team first, Manchester City won, Liverpool won. Um, Liverpool towards the top of the table, uh, Manchester City um, about six points behind them. In the bottom half of the table, still very early doors. 
Two teams that are definitely going to be challenging for the title towards the end of the season. Bit of a boring match. Good first half, fizzly out second half. Roy Keane making comments at halftime. And that is about it for now on Manchester City versus Liverpool. to the second half if you will this is when i round up other happenings around football i've just uh, chewed in there to uh, arsenal versus aston villa and let me get the final result because when i was looking at it it was three nil to aston villa and there was only about two minutes left i was watching it on a, a legal stream and that is the way it's finished uh, aston villa away at arsenal uh, three nil victors uh Saka with an own goal, Ollie Watson with the second, Watkins, sorry, with the second and the third. And they also missed a penalty, so they absolutely destroyed Arsenal. They were playing on the counter-attack against Arsenal. Another one of these bananas results in these uh, this this football times uh, that we're living in. With, with It seems that the big teams are getting either found out or or otherwise they're, they're tired from playing the European games in the midweek and they just can't bring themselves up to the energy to, to match these teams that aren't involved in Europe. But just watching a bit of that match, Jesus, Manchester, or Jesus, uh, Aston Villa were absolutely dominant. Arsenal, no creativity, um, no personality on the ball. Um, they look sluggish. And I think I was, I was praising Arsenal last week, but Jesus, they're not looking um, very good at all. So that's, I just wanted to touch on that. And I've got my little notebook out here. Um, I've started writing little notes on matches um, to help me with this uh, podcast. So the next match I want to go on to was Everton versus Man United. And this was 3-1 to Man United. So I was saying last week that Man United, you don't know what's going to happen with them. Some weeks they, they turn up and they look really good. And then other weeks they look like they don't have a plan and they look all over the place. This was actually, they started off quite badly in the first 15 or 20 minutes and then as the match went on the well the second half of the first half they looked really good and again it was really down to the performance of Bruno Fernandes I mean that's that's what Man United have kind of put everything put all their eggs in the Bruno Fernandes ba- basket get him involved in the match get like players who can keep the ball around him on the ball um, and then good things will happen I, I thought this was interesting that they Man United played uh, Juan Mata on the right um, of their midfield in this match. I think this was because they wanted more dominance in the middle. I think they wanted uh, Mata bringing the ball infield so they could get an extra number in the middle of the pitch, which is actually quite clever uh, if you think about it for Solskjaer um, to do that because the middle of the pitch is where they completely lost the battle against Arsenal. So adding somebody who's in the midfield who will drift more uh, infield is a good idea Greenwood w- would would have done that but he plays further up the pitch um, it was also uh, interesting that United had Martial back and he's someone who links up the play, links up with Fernandes really well, uh, he links up with Rashford very well and Mata very well so when you have that kind of the, the four of them collaborating very well on, on the, the kind of the left side of the Manchester United attack I suppose good things will happen to use that phrase again and um 
what was really interesting I, I keep saying that what was really interesting yeah, everything's interesting anyway uh, that's what happens when you're doing a podcast you say the same phrases over and over again so uh, Everton dominated the first 20 minutes they absolutely dominated it. they were on top they were playing direct balls uh, aerially and to the feet of Calvert-Lewin he was holding it up really well he's very very good in the air at holding it up he's got a huge leap on him and he can direct his headers very well so this was working fantastically for for Everton in the first 20 minutes uh, Digne uh, sorry Digne and Bernard on the left hand side of the Everton attack were destroying Man United they were destroying uh, Mata and uh, Bissaka and they just looked like they were going to easily win the match um, and then Bernard scored the goal after about 20 minutes and it, it wasn't um, it wasn't a surprise but football is a funny old game because Man United got a goal kind of against the run of play but again it was Fernandes linking up on uh, the left side of the attack uh, with Martial Rashford and Luke Shaw dovetailing up the left hand side ball comes out to Luke Shaw and I have to say this was a fantastic cross he picked out Fernandes in the centre of the box and Fernandes great header 1-1 and that completely changed the game suddenly the Man United field was dominant Scott McTominay and Mr Fred dominating the matches or dominating the the midfield for for Man United Uh, the cross from Luke Shaw was just like a a nice simple goal cross in from Luke Shaw and Fernandes heads it into the net nice and easy then the second goal came about five minutes later. This time Fernandez on the left-hand side cuts inside. Uh, a nice curve ang- curved angle to get that angle where he you can kind of curve the ball nicely into the striker's path. So this time it was towards Rashford. Rashford goes to head it, uh, but he actually misses it. So it's Fernandez's goal. So two goals for Fernandez and now it's 2-1 to Man United. And Man United are kind of, they could just kind of coast out the rest of the match. And that's what ended up happening. So Man United... Again, because of Fernandes, the key man. It's all about Fernandes for United. It's all about him getting on the ball, him doing the assists, him getting the goals. Uh, and then Man United will win. If not, if he can be nullified, then Man United will do badly. Uh, Cavani at the end getting the first goal on the break in the, one of the last kicks of the game. Nice little finish on the break. Um, so that was Man United uh, versus Everton. I want to mention the the Luckman penalty. Uh, he tried a Penenka. Uh, so this was Fulham against West Ham. Uh, West Ham taking the lead pretty late on. Uh, it was a, it was a bit of a slog of a match. Uh, I didn't really watch it to be honest with you, but I was I was kind of keeping tabs on it. West Ham, yeah, go ahead. But Fulham have a chance to equalise in injury time. Luckman steps up, and he goes for the Panenka, which uh, was originated, according to legend, by the player uh, Panenka who played for the Czechoslovakia in the 1970s and he it's this little chip you chip the ball into the middle of the middle of the goal while sending the goalkeeper the wrong way ideally um so it's it's regarded as a quite a ballsy penalty to do and what's in, what's interesting about this panenka is that it's it's been used at quite dramatic moments in matches over time so Padenka himself used it in the final of the European Championships it's been used by Zinedine Zidane at the World Cup final. I can't remember the year if that was at 2000. And uh, hold on, I'm going to check. I'm not going to leave a, a factual inaccuracy out there. I'm going to Google this live. Zidane 
penalty versus Italy. Italy. It was 2006. God, it was that was a long time ago. Uh, 14 years ago. So he did this Panenka in the World Cup final against Italy. What a goal that was in off the crossbar. Uh, Perlo did a Panenka against England in the World Cup as well. So there's a history of these matches. Oh, sorry. And the, the other one I wanted to mention was um, Alexis Sanchez's Panenka in, the, fu- in the, the final penalty of the shootout to win the Copa America for Chile. Um, and what year would that have been? Oh, jeez, I'm Googling again. Googling left, right and centre. All for you, listener. Alexis Sanchez Panenka versus Argentina. So Alexis Sanchez wins the Copa America for Chile with the coolest penalty. That was the headline of an article written in July 2015 by Lee Walker for the Bleacher Report uh, website. So 2015. Anyway, it doesn't matter about the years, really. The point is that these penalties are used as a sort of they catch people off guard because you think at the highest pressure moments, why would people be chipping the ball down the middle of the goal and trying to uh, take such a high risk where they could look stupid, it could go completely wrong. And this is what happened to Mr. Luckman for Fulham, he, who stepped up against Fabianski in the goal and he did his penenka, but he just chipped it to the side of the goal and Fabianski had dived the same way and he just reached up and caught the ball. And then it queued rapturous celebrations from West Ham who were shouting in his face. And uh, after the match, Scott Parker was saying that he was angry and disappointed. It's, it's, I thought it was interesting because it's like if you take a penalty a certain way and miss, people will get angry and they'll judge you more than if you, let's say, blasted it over the bar or, or hit it wide. So De Bruyne today, for example, hit the ball wide against Liverpool with his penalty. Nobody's going to be angry and disappointed with him. But if someone tries a Panenka and that doesn't work, then he's the biggest arsehole in the world, even though the Panenka probably has a similar success rate to a normal penalty. Uh, I think it's an interesting technique that people should do a bit more. So that's my take on the Panenka. Okay, to touch briefly on Spurs. Everybody loves a bit of Spurs, don't they? Spurs, Spurs, Spurs. Not the San Antonio Spurs, the basketball team in the NBA. No, Tottenham Hotspurs, the team from North London who have never won the Premier League. And they have Jose Mourinho as a manager and they play like a Jose Mourinho team. Very strong, very organised, a bit dull, a bit plodding, very defensively... Uh, rigid and they like to play on the counter-attack they love crossing the ball as well and that's where their goal came from for Harry Kane from Matt Doherty Matt Doherty uh, who's a great great right back Uh, very proud that he's Irish and uh, his excellent ball chipped in uh, I think was in the 85th minute into the box and even when he chipped it in it didn't it didn't look like it was going to be a goal but I think it was the perfect chip in that it was like just in between the area where the goalkeeper could come towards and where the striker of Tottenham could get to, Harry Kane. And so the goalkeeper came for it and then he had to double back because he realised he wasn't going to get it. And then Harry Kane, a lovely little uh, header over the goalkeeper. So again, Tottenham looking very impressive. Even though it's a, a style of play, I don't really enjoy. I don't enjoy watching them. They they are looking like they're controlling the games through their dourness. They look like they have a system. And 
I think if they can find the consistency, they're going to really, really challenge at the top. Gareth Bale, he's looking, he has a few nice touches and stuff. He's looking okay, but he's not fully integrated into the system. But it is very dangerous attacking line, potentially. Song, Kane, and uh, Gareth Bale up front. That could be a fantastic a forward line of three. Uh, but it's other places in the pitch where Tottenham are kind of lacking. When you have uh, Hogberg, the ex-Southampton player, dictating the play alongside Sissoko uh, in the middle of the park, uh, that's not really going to excite you. And then you have, like, you know, your Vertonghens and, and people like that who are just big rocks of men, not very technically gifted. Uh, I like the left back. I can't remember his name. And obviously I like uh, the right back, uh, Doherty. Um, so, I like, Tottenham... It's, it's sometimes pleasing, even though I'm not a Tottenham fan, but it is pleasing to see a system being put into place by players and have a plan being followed through. So, yeah, a, a very intriguing team to, uh, to watch. A Tottenham Hotspur. And do I have anything else for this week's second football? Uh, the one thing I want to mention is from La Liga, and that is Barcelona back to winning ways. 4-2 against Real Betis. And if you have time, check uh, Messi's goal to make it 4-2 in this match he gets the ball um, at the side of the penalty area he's clean through he's been put through the goal the uh, defender's running back but he's not going to get there Messi knows he has time so he hesitates 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 and then just lashes the ball into the roof of the net just like fuck you <laughs> and I just I just love that uh, that goal by Messi a real kind of fuck you goal where you just get all your aggression out and you launch the ball into the top of the net it's like get the hell out of my way I'm messy I'm the best player in the world I've been through my difficulties but I'm still here I'm still here um, mother effer shall we say uh, and let me look through these famous notes in the notepad to see if I've missed out anything for this week no not really uh, interesting and entertaining week of football I've said the word interesting 793 times in this podcast I'm going to try and improve on that next week but there you go that's feckin' football for you one last comment isn't it fun that all of the matches are on uh, TV even though there's that pay-per-view thing you can get them all on stream I've, I'm kind of overloaded with football it's like today for example there was three football matches on that you could watch at different times uh, every day all of the football 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 is everywhere and it reminds me of what it's like with american sports where there'd be a basketball match on every night or a baseball on every day i wonder what that's going to do to the viewer and the fan are, are we going to get sick of football because it's on tap are we going to devalue it are we going to just start watching more clip shows Think that's probably happening already it's a it's a big commitment to be watching a match every day or two matches a day for the rest of your life <laughs> especially if you take into account the different leagues uh, even league of ireland which i uh, am mentioning again because i like league of ireland but i don't really follow it but i like to mention it anyway because i feel like i should be following it even league of ireland uh, have their own streaming service at the moment and i know that season is coming to to the end but uh, there's football everywhere um, Serie A uh, La Liga whatever football on top so on that note I'm going to leave you to go and enjoy your Trumpless week bye bye Donald uh, hello happier times the world is a better place without you and don't let the door hit you on the way out take care from Feckin Football your host Toomey and I will see you next week bye bye